Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. I'm off this week, but here's an episode from our archives to tide you over until I'm back. On this episode, Do More Ag Foundation says more and more farmers are reaching out and asking for help because of the devastating effects of drought. The dry and hot conditions this summer have impacted both the cattle and grain side. Executive Director Adele Stewart says farmers need to be supported and encouraged to take care of their mental well-being now and in the days to come. I talked to Adele last fall about the work of Do More Ag and the importance of producers needing to know they're not alone and that they have the entire industry behind them. The Dominican Republic is experiencing an outbreak of African swine fever. Dr. Paul Sundberg is the executive director of the Swine Health Information Centre. Sundberg says he is confident the first outbreak of African swine fever identified in the Western Hemisphere in more than 40 years will not alter the level of risk for North America. And Sundberg will explain that the outbreak was identified through a cooperative surveillance program where bank tissue samples from sick, dying and dead pigs as well as feral pigs collected in the Dominican Republic were sent to the USDA's Foreign Animal Disease Diagnostic Lab. After the break, Adele Stewart. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Adele Stewart is the executive director with Do More Ag Foundation, and we're talking about the important work of the organization and the completion of another round of mental health first aid training. Adele, this group got its start because of the realization that the support really was needed for farmers. For sure, yeah. I think you kind of started it there. It was an organization simply born out of need. Um, The four co-founders, it actually started with two of the co-founders who were running uh, an ag tech app who did a fundraiser, a t-shirt campaign promoting mental health and agriculture. Um, There's kind of a lack of where those funds could go to that they would be um, directed straight and only two producers. So um, they kind of got together with the other two co-founders. And then as well, there was a a tweet that went viral that Kim Keller had posted in June of 2017, talking about how farm stress is real, uh, farm suicide is real, and that kind of calling on the agriculture community that we needed to do more. Um, That went viral and kind of from there into actually launching the foundation nationally uh, just about seven months later in January of 2018. So I would assume there was a vision of what the group would look like and what it could do. So what was the goal and uh, then the process to get to that point? Yeah, I mean, we started, we've grown leaps and bounds and continue to snowball at a, at a rapid pace. But at the foundation where we started was based on three pillars. One is of awareness, um, so just basic awareness, starting the conversation about mental health and agriculture, um, being the ones to stand up and, and say, you know, we'll talk about this first and, and provide a safe space for those who are ready to talk about it to follow. So awareness, anti-stigma, you'll see those come out in our national campaigns and things like that. Then the second pillar is um, education. So trying through our community funds, and our workshops and things like that, taking education to producers to 
start their mental health literacy journey, enhance their mental health education journey um, for content that is specific to the unique um, factors of agriculture. So we developed, uh, we started off issuing or or certifying mental health first aid, um, but that is not an ag-specific program. So we actually developed our own workshop, a half-day seminar called Talk, Ask, Listen, that is mental health literacy and education that is directed to Canadian producers. Um, So that's the second pillar. And then the third pillar is um, continuing the advocacy for research in this area. There's now been two studies we're very proud to have been um, on the the committee and funding partner for the latest report that's come out from Farm Management Canada, um, Healthy Minds, Healthy Farms. So the importance of research under our umbrella is to see the statistics of the prevalence of mental illness in producers start to turn around and drop. Um, we're not seeing that, that yet as of this latest report, so we know we still have work to do. It's really no surprise that it's uh, really difficult to access some of those supports in rural areas. So what has the foundation been doing with this in mind and uh, in order to make services available regardless of where you live? Yeah, it's kind of twofold. One is the accessibility of services and two is the accessibility of relevant services. Um, producers, what we hear at a grassroots level, they want to talk to somebody. If they're going to call or if they're going to go, they want to talk to somebody who understands agriculture. Um, it's hard enough to pick up the phone or to walk into that office and, and um, you know, wear your heart on your sleeve about what's going on. But in addition to that, having to educate somebody about why egg is so unique is especially taxing. Um, so that's direct from the mouth of the producers and echoed in um, SMC's most recent research as well. 76% of producers want to talk to somebody, a mental health professional who understands life on the farm. Um, so those two things combined are, are um, you know, why we first developed the workshop and the work we're going to continue um, to do. We started linking through egg-specific, egg-experienced mental health professionals um, on our website, we have a handful of them up there now and up an uh, application process for those who fit that criteria as well to be listed um, free of charge. I'm speaking with Do More Ag Executive Director Adele Stewart, and we're talking about mental health first training for farmers. So um, you've completed your second year of mental health first aid certificate program. So run through what that looks like for someone who might be interested, but not sure what's involved. Yeah, the the results have been outstanding. Um, the participants, uh, we continue to keep in contact with many of them, actually, who've either taken it or been the community leaders. Um, the feedback we get each time we complete a course is uh, can honestly bring tears to your eyes for the most part um, about the empowerment that they feel, um, the community that they um, experienced as part of that group, and then the knowledge that they carry forward to um, better identify in themselves and in others who may be struggling with um, mental uh, stress or mental illness, um, arm them with the ability to understand how to have conversations, but more importantly, how to have conversations safely and responsibly with the level of training um, that they as an individual producer have just received. So um, it's very 
it's very, um, yeah, like I said, safe and responsible and, and advocating and understanding when you need to pass that conversation when it's gone kind of over your your experience level and then how to access appropriate resources um, to triage to a different level of mental health care. So this is so important. These people are there to provide support, but they're not therapists, but they come to this with an understanding really that's uh, of the unique circumstances around farming. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's about supporting within your needs and then breaking down the barrier and stigma to having these really scary conversations um, when you've never had them before and been experienced in mental health. So it's a, it's a stepping stone and often it's that first one is the biggest one and we're really proud to be um, taking that to um, producers. How impactful has it been having farmers speaking out about their own mental health? It certainly is a difficult subject. We talked about the stigma that's involved. Have those voices been a turning point in this whole process? Yeah, I mean, that's why the foundation started. You know, Kim Peller, Leslie, um, our board of directors are all very um, adversarial in this realm as well. And our primary producers on top of that. So, we wanted to, under that first pillar of awareness, we wanted to create that safe space to say, we're going to talk about this um, and we're going to keep talking about it. And as we continue to do that, now what is more important is that individual producers are coming forward and talking about it. They're participating in our campaigns. Um, their words are showing up in, in our media they're writing some of our guest blog articles, and that's really what this is about, the tur- like the, the turning curve of empowering producers at a grassroots level to talk openly about mental health, and that makes all of the work that, that we did initially uh, worth it. And really listening to or reading about those personal experiences and the privacy of your own home has been an important uh, item too. Anyone who's reluctant to speak up can still have access to this information in a very safe way. Absolutely. You know, yeah, not everybody's willing to, you know, um, be interviewed by the media and talk about mental health, but they might be willing to, you know, write a blog or then to to read those things as well. They don't have to have their face seen in in a group is still... There's, we're making a lot of progress and a lot of people are standing up at the mic to share their story, um, you know, pre-COVID at the, um, you know, at the trade shows and things like that. But those who aren't ready to, we meet everyone where they're at and, and those written articles and, you know, we really want to reach everyone at any level so we can, again, take that first step and then continue the path together. Do more Ag Executive Director Adele Stewart. After the break, Dr. Paul Sundberg with the Swine Information Health Center talks about the outbreak of African swine fever in the Dominican Republic. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. With me is Swine Health Information Center Executive Director, Dr. Paul Sundberg. Paul, there is news of the spread of African swine fever, and I understand that came from your monthly domestic and global swine health disease surveillance reports. Well, certainly the most significant development um, has been the outbreak or discovery of African swine fever in the Dominican Republic. Um, that's, uh, That's certainly something that has garnered a lot of attention in the last couple of days. 
um, the Dominican Republic has had a cooperative surveillance program with USDA where that country um, has has banked surveillance samples from uh, pigs uh, that are sick or dying or dead uh, and feral pigs, a variety of different types of, of tissues and the different types of samples. They bank those and send those to USDA for testing. That's the cooperative program. And that program discovered that um, African swine fever was on the island of Hispaniola in the Dominican Republic. And that has been the biggest, um, the biggest thing that we've got going on right now. It is geography. It um, doesn't increase the risk, I think, of entry into um, the U.S. or into North America, including Mexico, because of that geography. But it also um, is important to point out that it is geography and that there are the processes and controls in place to keep the virus out of the U.S. just like um, there has been since 2018, working on those things to make sure it stays away. So Customs and Border Protection, for example, and USDA are working together in making sure that there's interdictions at ports of entry where illegal products may come through, USDA's heightened up surveillance, and we're doing the things that we need to do to try to ensure as best as possible that we'll contain that virus on the island and not let it get away from Hispaniola. Paul, what do we know so far about the outbreak at this point and what we can expect down the road? Yeah, one of the most important things there is the question about how it might have found its way into the DR. Um, uh, and the reason that's so important is because that will help to inform us about that open window that was available there to ensure that we don't have that same window in North America. Um, and that's a work that's continuing to go on. We don't know how it got into the DR yet, but um, both the Dominican Republic and USDA are going to be working in concert and cooperation to try to figure that out. It may be a difficult thing to do, uh, and there may not be a smoking gun, but certainly um, there's going to be a lot of work in trying to understand that because that will help us to do better with our biosecurity. The scope of the outbreak right now um, it is that it is within 11 provinces of the 30-some provinces within the, the country of the Dominican Republic. Um, initially, it was identified in two, and then just a few days later, um, they found that with further testing, uh, it was in more of the provinces in the Dominican Republic. I don't know that that's really a surprise. I expect that we very well may find out in the, in the coming um, days or weeks that it very well may be further spread in the DR. One of the things that we do know, though, is the Dominican Republic is stepping up with um, uh, checks along routes of transportation, quarantining farms. They're doing the types of things, and even including their military, um, the types of things that is necessary to try to contain it. So there's a lot of activity going on down there right now, and um, we'll have further updates as we learn more about um, where the virus is, how it got there, 
and their efforts to try to control it. So what other global issues are being tracked at this time? Well, um, one of the things that uh, is good to note is that the European Food Safety Authority's panel on risk assessment um, for ASF spread is, um, is being shared. They focused on the risk of spreading ASF through outdoor pig farms. And uh, certainly with their um, experience, especially in, in Eastern Europe, where the virus is in their feral pigs, is in wild boar in Eastern Europe, um, that continues to uh, pose a risk for pigs, uh, for commercial pigs, especially those in outdoor pig farms. And that's one of the recent um, uh, outcomes is uh, the discovery of ASF in a couple of farms in Germany with that type of production. So that's a first incursion of ASF into German commercial production. Um, they have acted very quickly to contain it, they, to um, eradicate those farms, uh, the pigs from those farms, and make sure that they're doing everything they can to prevent its spread and further commercial. But I think that's an illustration of the importance of this risk assessment and uh, of attention for biosecurity in, um, in farms that uh, raise pigs outdoors, especially because they may have the opportunity for contact with feral pigs. Now, we don't have that in North America. I want to emphasize that, that we don't have ASF in feral pigs in North America. So um, we don't have that risk at this point because we don't have the virus. But uh, it is an example of making sure that we learn all the lessons we can learn about this virus and uh, the way it spreads and the way it moves within pig populations uh, in those countries that have it uh, in within their borders. Several new resources have been added to the website for swine health. What should uh, producers be aware of as far as additions and changes? Well, uh, one of the things that we're doing is uh, continuing to pay attention to emerging disease information. Um, back in 2016, I think, was when we first released a series of fact sheets about viruses um, that, that potentially could cause um, emerging diseases in the, in the swine herds. Um, those fact sheets included things like um, uh, chikungunya virus, for example. Um, they included sapelovirus. They included... Uh, Japanese encephalitis virus, um, high, uh, high path porcine respiratory, high path PERS, Ebola. I mean, some of those viruses are probably new um, names to a lot of producers. But the issue here is to make sure that we are prepared with resources that can be quickly accessed about new things that may be coming at the industry. And, um, and we've gone through those since 2016. We're continually updating those to make sure that we have the most, um, most up-to-date information in those uh, fact sheets. And uh, those are available on the swinehealth.org website. So some of those may be of interest as a point of information. Um, certainly they'd be of interest should we get emerging diseases. And I want to make sure that people are aware of those fact sheets 
and those contents. It's a variety of different viruses. Most probably we will, and hopefully we won't have to use uh, most, or I'm hopeful none of them. But should they be needed, they are available, and they're available on SwiveHealth.org. But there's always work going on as far as uh, emerging diseases. The look at uh, rotavirus in the U.S. Um, Through the uh, University of Kentucky, the Gluck Equine Research Center, a novel rotavirus in foals was identified. And this was a new one. It was one that uh, in foals hadn't been seen before, and it was discovered, and it was causing quite a problem in horses. The question that we posed for a panel of rotavirus experts in the swine industry is what does that mean for the risk of that uh, rotavirus moving over from horses into pigs? Um, Their response was very, very unlikely, which was good news. That's that's really good news, but I think it's an illustration of the types of things we're trying to do with the Swine Health Information Center in staying on top of new reports, staying on top of emerging disease issues, and trying to understand risks and and uh, preparedness for the industry should we have an, a novel emerging disease. So I just want to make sure people are aware of that. The reports of that, those types of things are all on the swinehealth.org website as well as available when that information comes up through our monthly newsletter. And the way that uh, people can subscribe to the newsletter that comes out once a month in your inbox would be, again, through the swinehealth.org website. Dr. Paul Sundberg is the Executive Director of the Swine Health Information Center. This is the Agriculture News Roundup for the week of August 2nd, 2021. Farmers affected by drought in five provinces were waiting for federal and provincial officials to complete the assessment of the disaster and how agri-recovery can respond. Agri-recovery is a federal-provincial business risk management program which helps farmers in extraordinary drought and flood situations. The program is cost-shared on a 60-40 basis, with Ottawa covering the largest percentage. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bebo said the government is open to submissions that include direct assistance to livestock producers for added costs of obtaining livestock feed, transportation and water. There is a severe shortage of feed due to the drought and some farmers have already been selling cattle according to Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan President Todd Lewis. The federal government also added more RMs in the area covered by the livestock tax deferral. Manitoba invoked the late participation provision of agri-stability. Farmers in Manitoba can sign up for a business risk management program, even though the deadline was June 30th. Some Saskatchewan producers fell victim to a scam while trying to purchase hay. Certain ads for hay asked for payment prior to the owner seeing the hay or having confirmed delivery. Garth Woods with Livestock Services Saskatchewan said with feed being at a premium, it's not shocking it's become a target of scammers. Woods said many producers are desperate for feed, which makes them drop their guard when trying to buy more. He said he understands producers are scrambling, but it's important to be cautious when buying hay online. Canada's two largest railways said weather will reduce the grain crop in the coming year after moving record amounts of Canadian grain in the past year. 
Canadian National moved 31 million tons as of the end of July, beating the previous record of 29.4 million tons a year earlier and above its forecast for the year. Calgary-based Canadian Pacific moved more than 30 million tons, up from 29.52 million tons during the 2019-20 crop year. The railways were helped in transporting the harvest by investing in the purchase of larger hopper cars. The railways said record high temperatures and drought in western Canada have stressed crops and could have a negative impact on yields if conditions persist. Ottawa announced more than $2.1 million in funding for 11 projects in Saskatchewan under the Regional Innovation Ecosystem Program. Recipients include Battle River Bison Preservation Incorporated, which is getting $250,000 to develop an Indigenous tourism experience by reintroducing Plains Bison to the prairies. Another is the University of Saskatchewan, which is receiving $850,000 to buy genomics equipment to serve crop breeders in developing new varieties. Economic Development Minister Melanie Jolly, who announced the funding, said the government is supporting businesses and organizations that have upheld local economies throughout the pandemic. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.